Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host, kind of sort of your guide as we wander the fields and forests looking for adventure in the uplands behind a good looking dog or two, or maybe a real ugly dog like mine. Doesn't matter. They're all great, aren't they? Excellent show in store for you. Looking forward to getting caught up with my good friend, Phil Wexler down in Southern Arizona. Yeah, we'll talk all things uh, quaily and who knows beyond that. Former guide, now a first responder, doing a great job at both. And uh, maybe he can help me with my upcoming trip that way. We'll also talk about all the things that you and I regret. Yeah, thanks so much if you helped out with that Pointing Dog Journal article. It turned out pretty good, (laughs) in large part thanks to you. I'll share some of your thoughts on that and a few of my own. We'll have the Upland Nation puzzler and a prize. A hunting vest might be yours real soon. And it's all made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels, Happy Jack Dog Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food, and of course, the findbirdhuntingspots.com website. Well, I got rained out of that last chucker trip, and um, if you know anything about chucker country, you know it was a smart move, or what is, what's the opposite of a move? Not move? A sh- anyway... Uh, once you get up into those hills and it starts raining, um, it's ugly, really ugly. So uh, um, I just want to make sure that um, I, 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 once I get up there, I can get back down again without going off the edge into a precipice of some sort or another. So anyway, called that off. Instead, I, I made up for lost time at the shooting range, shot both Saturday and Sunday. Wonderful course again. If you got a course run by volunteers, go out and thank them, if nothing else, for their hard work. The Redmond Rod and Gun Club's Twisted Tree Sporting Place course is incredible, all built by volunteers, run by volunteers. Good job, everybody, and thank you. I'm uh, still working on that instinctive style of shooting, uh, but I'm getting closer and closer. The good news is my percentage is going up. Every time I show up there, the bad news is the reason I went twice this weekend is because my shooting on that last chucker trip was so bad. All right. Well, maybe you're thinking about the same thing. Yeah. How about this? What are you thinking about when it comes to the drive? How long are you driving? You know, I asked that at, uh, in a recent, uh, Upland nation insights newsletter and, and I found it fascinating uh, how far you're willing to go. And, uh, and so I thought I'd share that with you here. I asked, how far do you usually drive each way to your hunting spots? Uh, 26% of you said uh, less than an hour. Lucky guys. 36% said a couple hours max. 30% said more than two hours. I didn't want to go on beyond that because I'm the only guy who will drive six hours. Uh, and then 8% of you said, drive? Heck, I live there. Well, okay. Feel free to send me your latitude and longitude and open up your calendar. I'd love to talk with you about a trip. Okay. All right. We are about ready to talk to Phil. First, a couple of reminders. First, uh, this part of the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, crafted at the highest caliber. 
go to the website, sageandbreaker.com, sign up for the mailing list. You'll get notice of the rare sales that Fred Bohm puts on and also first notice of all the new products as they come down the pipeline. And then LegacySports.com is where you learn more about all the pointer shotguns. I'm working on them right now. I'm impressed by all sorts of things from the fit and finish to the value. A full line of over and under and semi-automatics. Whether you're upgrading from one to the next or you're looking for a first gun for a kid or for a new hunter, these are also available in several colors. The Cerakoting uh, protects from corrosion and also makes you look cool in the field. Learn more at LegacySports.com. Well, last time I talked with him, he was a pro guide down in Southern Arizona. He's still in Southern Arizona, serving us in other ways these days, but Still a very knowledgeable and crazy bird hunter. Phil Wexler, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Hey, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Not too bad. I can't complain. I bet you can't. Have you been hunting much this season so far? So far, there has not been a whole lot of hunting going on um, here in Arizona for me. Um, we've we've had a few people go out and... Uh, harvest a couple really young desert birds so uh not not too opposed to wait until till they get fully feathered and maybe the temperatures drop just a little bit but uh, a few people have been going out there and, and doing all right you know it's funny I, I i'll i'll make a mental note and i'll promise everybody else you know you're the second arizona hunter i've talked to in the last few weeks and uh yeah your season is you know basically you know when everybody everybody else has given up for the year because the weather's so <laughs> crappy um and i'll warn you in advance i think i told you before i'm headed you're not quite all the way to your country uh but mm -hmm. but down to southwestern arizona during the crappy mm -hmm. weather up here so looking forward to that why don't you give me a feel for the the country you love the most put us on the map somewhere and then let's talk about that place well, um, you you kind of hit the nail on on the head when the when the weather turns turns bad for a lot of guys. That's that's really my favorite time to to hunt quail. So down here in southern Arizona, um, you know we have we have three species of quail, and my my favorite being the Mearns quail, which I'm sure everyone has heard so much about. So what is it about Mearns quail that trips your trigger? You know, for for me, it's it's. Less about the, the the quail and more about how the how the quail work with the dogs. They they hold really tight for the dogs and they they make for some really flushes. A lot of times, right under your feet, maybe even walk over them. They're flushing behind you or directly off the dog's nose. So it's it's a really good uh, good bird to chase if you have some steady dogs and enjoy watching them work. Now you're a pro guide so maybe you've given this more thought than most of us is there is there some reason they're so willing to be cooperative with us and our dogs you, you know i and i and i want to i want to say i'm i'm longer i'm more considering a, a pro guide i when we could we could talk about that a little bit later too if if you yeah. wanted to um but uh for me i just i just i had to step away a little bit um because I was, it was taking away from from what I what I enjoyed most about the sport, which which is the dog work, um, and and spending time spending time with the dogs. When you add money to that equation, it 
it can get a little dicey sometimes. Um, so it's been nice. It's been nice to really, you know, last year was the, was the first season I really got to take it back uh, for myself. And I had, I had probably one of my, my favorite, you know, most fun seasons yet. Oh, that's fantastic. I I always joke about it. You know, anybody who owns a fly rod thinks they want to be a fishing guide <laughs> until they try it once. And, and then they yeah. realize, you know, you know, you don't get to deer, do near as much actual hunting when you're, when you're yeah. a guide, do you? It's, it's true. And, and, you know, truthfully, a lot of, a lot of times the, uh, the younger dogs uh, suffer for it because you can only put down your A game, your A string for someone who's paying money to, uh, to hunt with you. And so, you know, the up and comers and the young, young dogs, they just don't get the attention and the, you know, the experience in the field that they deserve when you have to have to bench them in order to produce for, for clients. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, the most fun, I think, developing, developing young dogs on wild birds. When you, when you see that start to click, it's just, the best feeling in the world for me well tell me a little bit about that phil because that is you know of course we live for the same thing you and me and most of the folks who are are in on our conversation today they are all about the dogs what has been the difference since you've gotten away from the guiding side what do you do with a young dog to bring them along that you couldn't do before well picture this you you know you have some people that are paying for your time and your experience and your knowledge and, and you're out there hunting and uh, you know, you have a couple good, good broke dogs down and, uh, and if they stab some quail and you guys walk in and, you know, the lab will come in and flush the quail up and bang, bang, you know, two birds drop a covey and then we move on. That's, that's, you know, the, the ideal scenario. Um, but then if you throw a young dog into the mix, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if the dog on point, you know, you're starting to get in position and that young dog just goes right through the covey and, and bumps them up. And the birds fly away, and and you know the hunters don't get a shot. For for me, you know, I, I couldn't think of a better scenario for a young dog to just get experience and get bird contacts and let them chase those birds. But in a guiding situation, that's that's not what they're paying for, and that's that's the last thing you want. So, uh, you know, you really have to bench those younger dogs and try to fit them in um, when you can, when you have a full guiding schedule. Without without the uh, the guiding schedule, you know, I really treat every day in the field as a training day. Um, I don't, yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I don't go for limits or, or, you know, gosh, I do love to shoot birds. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, it's more about getting, getting the dogs into birds and, you know, making progress with them than it is filling a bag and, you know, wrapping them and wrapping quail and bacon and eating them. It's, <laughs> for me, it's more about just, just watching the dogs develop. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's funny, we've, uh, over the years on the TV show in particular, once in a while, in fact, I'm thinking of one in particular, but we'll, um, you know, we'll say to the guide or we'll say to the lodge operator, you know, how about that dog? Well, he just got literally one. I was walking through the kennel one night, just got there for the shoot the next day. And I said, uh, what happened to that dog? It's got a cast on his leg. Oh, broke this or did that, whatever. What about that one? Well, he's the replacement. He showed up today. Um, and I said, you hunted with him? No. Hey, let's bring him out tomorrow. You know, most paying clients probably wouldn't be happy in that situation. Uh, but Duke, man, he delivered. You saw that. If you watched wing shooting USA, you saw Duke <laughs> turn into a bird dog in one day. Now he came started from a great breeder and a great kennel and all that, but, but you know, we can take those chances, but you're right. Uh, a client's not going to be willing to do that. Are they? 
No, but it, and you know, and that's not you know, it wouldn't be fair to do to them either. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. pose it as the client's fault. It's it's you know, they're it's an it's a mutual transaction and an agreement, and uh, you know, they're they're paying you to to put down your most experienced dogs and take them to the spots you think are going to produce birds so they can have that experience. So, you know, that's got to be another aspect of this thing. And I, you know, I'm not looking for secrets or anything, but I never get to talk with a guide about things like this. Um, but you know, finding the good spots, that's just as important because again, you've got to put birds in the air for these guys. How hard do you have to work at that? And is that a, you know, was that, was that a, a you know, like an, year-round process no i wouldn't say it was a year-round process as far as scouting for birds it's it is a year-round process just owning you know x amount of dogs in a dog kennel yeah um but but the way that i'm speaking specifically about merns because that is you know the the main draw down here i believe Uh, the the way that i like to hunt them is i i really don't like to the same spot at once yeah to hit the same covey more than once um and when it when it happens and you go out you you just you start to recognize the cover um and you go off of maybe your past experiences from the year before hey i remember this area this area held birds you go in there you find some birds great well now the next time i go out i'm going to hit you know two two hills over and the next time i go out i'll go into the next hill and you just kind of work off of an area um when, when i find birds i just work work off of an area uh, instead of going back to the same the same spot. Now everybody has you know their quote unquote go to where you know year after year they know they're going to find birds in there, but um, it's not it's not an isolated area. Arizona's terrain is it could be a little bit overwhelming if you came down here for the first time, mm-hmm. um, and because it all it all is Mern's country, so you really <laughs> you know have some difficulty figuring out where should I start specifically. And the only way to do that is a lot of miles and. Uh, and dogs with a good nose. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I'm learning a lot already, and we got lots more to talk about with Phil Wexler. Phil, uh, let's talk about that terrain a little bit. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, I've done a little bit of homework on that. I've talked to a lot of folks who have been there and done that. But why don't you just uh, paint a picture for us of of the kind of country you're you're hunting in? It's. Uh, I, I don't want to sell it short. It's. It's. It's beautiful. I, I love it uh, down here, um, but it's it's not it's not the easiest terrain in the world. You know, it's it's rocky, a lot of loose rocks. There's grass. There's cactus. There's there's rattlesnakes year round. <laughs> there's there's javelinas that'll that'll you know injure your dog or or, or kill your dog. It's there's um, you know we're right on the border of uh, of the U.S. and Mexico. I've ran into uh, traffickers and and things like that's <laughs> it's it's the whole environment. Um, that's that's pretty wild it it still is very much i believe you know the wild west out here are we talking serious climbing what kind of habitat what kind of uh plant life is there out there what are these birds eating sure that you can you can get as i always say you can get as deep as you want to you know away from the from the chucker hunters out there i believe they do a lot more climbing but uh it's it's you can go up some pretty steep hills uh, with really loose rock, and and the terrain that these birds like, or sorry, the 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 food that they're eating, they they mainly get their the merns get their food from digging. Uh-huh. So they dig dig these acorns and and shoots and roots, and um, you know you can look and find their diggings on the ground. Typically, if you find a fresh 
Mern's dig where the covey has been scratching at the dirt. Uh, the covey's probably sitting somewhere hiding, looking at you. So you're, wow. you know, you're close. But it doesn't always mean if you find a fresh dig, it doesn't always mean you're going to find the covey. You know, I had a revelation. Uh, thanks, Tom, for uh, taking me up into the juniper trees last weekend, uh, where we found chuckers, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. But but when you're chasing merns, uh, you got trees all over getting in the way, don't you? Yeah, and they're not they're not super tall trees. Uh, depend. I mean, you can you can find find merns in some pretty weird, strange uh, uh, environment. But uh, these short oak uh, oak scrub, they uh, they get when they when they take off they they get under them so they like to put trees between you and them you know as quick as possible i've heard a lot of hunters come out and compare it to uh the style of you know quick quick snap shooting like like rough grouse in the north woods yeah. obviously the cover is not as thick but you know sometimes your shot presentations you just have a very small window before they're 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 gone is there um is there lots of cover on the ground where if we're walking around are we beating through brush or are we walking on uh dirt bare dirt, dirt most of the time what does it look like they like they like uh grassy habitat so you might be walking through it gosh it could be grazed down you know to nothing and you find a pocket of merns on the edge of a hillside or it could be grass up to your knees or, or higher and they could be you know hi hiding in there but mainly it's it's like an oak, like an oak grassland type type setting would be like the picture perfect Merns cover. But last year, gosh, I I uh, was hunting some desert birds last year, and uh, I was just walking along with the dog, and uh, we uh, we went on point, and I didn't have my limit, but I I was just like ah, I've shot enough uh, gambles and scale quail today, so I just kind of flushed it and didn't plan on shooting and watched the scale quail get up and then. Uh, the dog wasn't wasn't moving, so I kept going, and all of a sudden, um, a couple of merns got up in an area where I would have never expected uh, to to find them. So um, they they can really be anywhere. Um, you know, they were in that that terrain was steep. We were up really high, and uh, it was bare dirt, bare dirt, and and rocks. Really, there was no no grass or oaks around. Go figure, you know, that, uh, yeah. and, and I can, uh, I, I remember the first time this happened, it's happened two or three more times since, uh, uh, I'll be hunting valley quail in various spots, whether it's right along a creek or in a, a really tall cattails thicket or something like that. And what gets up with the valley quail covey? One mountain quail. <laughs> That's a bucket list bird for me right there. Mountain oh. quail is is on my list come come out here i got two places where there's a 50 50 chance we might actually find one that's uh, that's yeah, as far like as i'm odds. gonna go i'm not gonna tell anybody <laughs> else about that uh but but you know do you i mean i'm i'm intrigued that they would be what do you think they were all hanging together you know the 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 merns and the and the the gambles i i don't know a lot of people don't believe me when i when i tell this story yeah. but but when when those when those Merns got up. Uh, I had I had sat there and watched gambles and scalies flush. I had I had all three species in the air at the same time, and uh, believe it or not, uh, I was there and it happened to me, and it was uh, it was it was pretty pretty incredible. It was pretty exciting. I do have some witnesses <laughs> witnesses to this story if you if you need any proof, but uh, it was it, it's the first and only time I've ever seen that. I'm sure other people have had that experience before, but yeah. it was it was a pretty special day for me. And it was with two two young dogs who um 
you know, had really been making great progress. And so that, that kind of made it even more, more of a special, a special day. Don't you love that? You can put a check mark on the calendar right there. And, and you know, that Rover and Fido did, mm-hmm. they, they moved up a notch on the, on the board, didn't they? Yeah, it was, it was a day for the books for sure. I, I, I got it. So I called the biologist for the area when I, when I shot that mountain coil out of the Valley mm-hmm. coil covey and, you know, it was on the phone, but you could, I, there is a sound when somebody rolls their eyes because <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> oh, we're just getting warmed up around here. It's the Upland Nation podcast. That's Phil Wexler. We're talking, I'm going to say, I'm going to call them desert quail because it's hotter down there and I can't wait to be there. I'm Scott Linden. Uh, Phil, you get a, a moment to unlace your boots and relax while I pay the bills around here. So stand by. And the rest of you, uh, if you would, please uh, go to happyjackinc.com. That's where you learn all about the products that I'm using every time I go out. I, I'm starting a hunt with pad code on Flick's feet. I'm ending the hunt with seal and heel on all the holes and scrapes and scratches that he got that day. And there's a few other things in between that I'm using. Save yourself a trip to the vet every once in a while. You don't really need to go for every little thing. If you're preventing or you're dealing with stuff in the field, happyjackinc.com is a place to do it. Pardon me. Because I want to be in my best voice for rufflandkennels.com. Whether you're looking for water storage and dispensing of various types or uh, a new performance kennel for your dog, you know, the Roughland folks, they pioneered that whole roto-molded one-piece kennel design. Just to remind you, Roughland is R-U-F-F-L-A-N-D, kennels.com. That's where you learn about all of their great products. a bunch of accessories as well as the performance crates and all the things that go in and on it. Many of their products have five out of five star reviews all over the place. Learn more at rufflandkennels.com. Yeah, we're talking Southern Arizona, some exotic quail species with former guide and friend of the show, Phil Wexler here at the Upland Nation. Y'all stick around. We got more to talk about as we get down the road. We've got the Upland Nation puzzler and a prize. Yeah, you could win one of those. um, uh, uh, Let's see, what do we call on that thing? Uh, The Chief Upland World's First Customizable Front-Loading Technical Upland Vest is the prize this month. And then some of your observations on regrets and uh, whether you have a few like Frank Sinatra or you have a long list like I do talking about those as well but first phil welcome back to the podcast thank you scott i know um i know it's your passion and uh, i know we've talked in the past but tell me about your string how are the dogs getting along and what have you got in your string these days so i, w- I went through a big uh kind of attrition period i had to really downsize the amount of dogs that i had when i left guiding um just because uh, I wouldn't, you know, at a certain point, it's not fair if you're if you're not running, running these dogs and 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 you know, letting them do what they love. So I'm I'm now currently down to, gosh, let me think, six six bird dogs, uh, pointers, sh- pointers, short hairs, and a lab. 
Uh, and I think uh, I think six is a really good number for me. Um, my string has some of the old proven veterans, uh, and uh, and then it has uh, two two you know up and comers that that really excelled last year that I'm really excited to uh, get into get into Merns this year with. Love it. Hold on just a moment, honey. Phil says six dogs is the right number. <laughs> She's not it's, quite in accordance with that yet, but <laughs> it, it's dog. It's dog math. You it, know, two it, is easier than one. Two is pretty close to three. When you're at three, you might as well get four, and it just spirals from there. So. Well, yeah, yeah, that's like the Mexican toast that I like the most. Um, <laughs> I'll say it in English for for most people. You probably understand this one, Phil. Um, one beer is really a half beer. Two beers is one beer. Three beers is two beers, and four beers is no beers. <laughs> I never heard that one. Oh, it's good. good, especially good in Spanish. But that's another. <laughs> that's that's something we'll talk about over a, a half a beer. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's go through the breeds again, and then I want to talk about how you're using them these days. How about those young dogs? What are which ones are they? Uh, I have a uh, I have a young pointer um, and a young short hair. Uh, the short hair I bred. Uh, the pointer I got uh, as a starter dog from Ryan Mulcahy. Um, phenomenal little pointer. She's she's quickly becoming one of my one of my favorites. Ugly as sin. I should. She's so. I call her. Her name's Reba. I call her the Quail Goblin. I I always say I should put her down. She's so ugly, but but gosh, she's good at finding birds. So well, you're not you're not going to get any complaints from this ugly dog owner. <laughs> Do you say little? What what's a little pointer to you guys? Gosh, she's tiny. She's got to be. 37 38 pounds oh I mean, my god she's small she's 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 small but she she gets it done so yeah. i prefer i prefer smaller dogs i i i have a couple bigger dogs um and and they're great too but just i mean smaller dogs they're easy to pick up yeah there's less poop yeah there's less to feed so you know and 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 have you found that a lighter dog is better is easier on their pads I would say no. Okay. I, I really feel like uh, the way that a dog holds up is is really based on genetics. Yeah. Genetics and, yeah. and, and breeding and proper conditioning. Okay. Well, there you have it. I, um, I've, I've never had the pleasure of owning a 39-pound wire here, and I probably <laughs> never will, but I would kill if somebody would please, please start breeding them down a bit. Um, okay. So, um, you got a Labrador in that mix as well. What are you doing with the lab? So I bought, I bought her, uh, as a flushing dog yeah. and from, from, from a guy here in, in Arizona who, who hunts strictly quail. And I wanted a lab that was going to, uh, hold up well in the desert and, uh, be able to hunt all day. Like, like the, uh, like the pointing dogs. And so, I always say, you know, everyone's on this cocker craze right now. A bunch yeah. of my friends, friends have them. They're great little dogs, but I always say, you know, labs, they're the hunting man's cocker. So <laughs> they, uh, they, they can really get the job done. I, I, so Jackie, my lab, she, she's a phenomenal bird finder. She's got a great nose. No, no, no thanks to me. I can't take much credit for it. Um, and, uh, she woes up when the other dogs go on point and I say her name and release her and she goes and flushes the birds up for me. That way I don't, you know, get get my head blown off when someone's, yep, 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 someone's yep. trying to shoot a bird. And, and I actually shoot a lot of ducks down here. 
oh. uh, in Arizona. So uh, she's she's become quite the little duck dog, too. I love it. I had a, a, a good buddy who became a very good buddy. We worked together for two summers. He spent, uh, he went to school in Flagstaff. And mm-hmm. the first two years, he survived on ducks. And people <laughs> people say, Arizona? Ducks? What? Where are you going for those? That's that's secret information. Sorry, I asked. You won't find an Arizona duck hunter giving out any more information than that. <laughs> um, so far, we have all females in your string. Am I right on that? Uh, no, I have I have two males. Okay, two males and two males and four females. Okay, uh, male short hair and a male uh, male pointer. And you, so you, you, it's really not about gender for you. It's it's about something else, isn't it? It's I I like dogs that find birds and dogs yeah. that hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's not about size. You know, it's not about size or color or or you know. It's just, you know, do, does the dog hunt? Does the dog find birds? Does the dog perform? Yeah. You know, I don't, it's hard to put into words. I, I, you know, I, I attribute a lot of my knowledge. I'm not a professional dog trainer by any means. Many people will tell you that. <laughs> um, but you know, one of my, one of my mentors, Guy Malacone, who really taught me everything that I, that I know he's, you know, about, about bird dogs. And, uh, he taught me to just kind of keep that open mind and open attitude. And, you know, what, what are we really looking for? um in a bird dog do we want to do we want to breed a dog because it's got this and that behind it or, or or this or do we want to breed you know dogs that hold up well um you know throughout the years hunting uh on rough terrain do we want dogs that are genetically sound that don't have you know major health issues or get weird cancers at four five six years old you know dogs that have good noses that find birds dogs that behave well um you know when they're on birds you know, that's easy to say, but harder to do. And in fact, I'm writing a story for pointing, who am I writing that for? Oh, for Gun Dog Magazine uh, mm-hmm. on um, picking a dog. Yeah. And uh, I think I got a pretty good list going, but you know, you do it and, and sometimes you do it just on the phone, but it's not just a phone call. What, what else do you do to ensure that your dogs meet the criteria you just described? It's, it's tough. I, I, now that I, you know, from the string that I had when I was guiding to the string that I have now, uh, I think it's safe to say that I've, um, you know, narrowed it down to what I'm looking for. Uh, that doesn't mean that the dogs that I, that I have, uh, that have moved on to other, other homes aren't, aren't good bird dogs. I've gotten great feedback on, on all of them, but you know, I think just everybody's different. So you really just want a dog that's going to fit your needs and work for you. You know, are you, are you into the field trials? Would you like to do that? Are you, are you, you know, the weekend warrior who needs a dog that that's able to be a, you know, a house dog 90% of the time, in my opinion, a good, a good bird dog is balanced and can do anything you want it to, you know, you want it to run field trials or hunt birds or be a house Mm -hmm. dog. A good, a good dog should be able to do all of that. And again, I'm not a pro, please, you know, I'm sure there's a million people yelling at me and that's fine. I won't even respond to messages, but, uh, that's just how I feel about it. Do you get many puppies or are you buying started dogs most of the time? Mm, uh, out of necessity, I was buying started dogs while I was guiding. Sure. Uh, I have bought many, many, many started and, or quote unquote finished dogs. Yeah. Um, and I only have two. Uh, that I, that I, that I kept that were, um, you know, as advertised or better than, than advertised. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's, if you do your research when, when you're, 
when you're going for a for a started dog or or a finished dog because everyone's definition is 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 different you know i i, I got a great dog uh who i still have from austin turley uh and that little pointer reba that i got from uh ryan mulcahy um i've gotten some phenomenal dogs from guy Malacone. um and uh i think the most important thing you could do is build a network of people that you trust that that are doing you know doing the deal and uh you know you really can't go wrong if you if you get your dogs from from that network it's it's yeah. more than just you know this guy's got x amount of followers on instagram and <laughs> takes pretty pictures you know so true and absolutely right you know it's all about that networking uh and you know what yeah you know, i tell everybody start a year before you want a dog and maybe mm-hmm. maybe longer if you need to tell me about your your puppies so when you're bringing them up what is what is one thing that you do with a puppy that maybe we we haven't thought about doing but we really ought to do or we ought to do more of uh, i think a big one is just exposure you know just gosh just let the dog be a dog and you know, after it gets its, its, its shots, just, just take it out and expose it to different things. Let it, let it be a bull puck. Don't, don't over coddle it and just, just let it, let it learn to think, yeah. let it learn to problem solve, you know, on its own. Let it, let it figure stuff out. If it gets stuck somewhere and starts whimpering, you know, you don't have to rush over and help it. It's not, you know, it's not in immediate danger. Let it, let it think it through. Let it learn to problem solve. No, I, I I love that idea. I've got a you know the flick is is in the room when I'm having a workout and uh, mm-hmm. and he he just he always wants my attention. So I bought these uh, they call them treat balls. You know you you mm-hmm. put some food in them and you close them up and the dog works really hard at, at getting all the food out by. And I've watched him master various strategies about how to get that food out more efficiently. But once in a while it rolls under a, a little. Um, um, uh, ottoman that's a little hard for him to get under but mm-hmm. i'm sitting there i got nothing else to do i'm on the elliptical watching him just solve that problem and i'm thinking man i i wish i'd done more of that when he was four months old instead of four years old they yeah. they really do learn by solving problems themselves don't they i i think they do i mean they're they have a brain they they they, they use it um, they learn a lot from watching us and and a lot from just being able to figure it out themselves. And I think that translates, you know, later on into the field when it comes time to make that nose brain connection mm-hmm. between tracking and, and pinning and, you know, finding, finding, you know, hunting different objectives. And it just, I, I feel like it, it definitely has to correlate. Uh, George Hickox, among others, says no birds, no bird dog. And we all, uh, a lot of us believe in a variation on that, whatever it is. When you introduced, um, well, birds of various sorts. We got pigeons, we got <laughs> pigeon wings, we got uh, uh, pen-raised quail, we got wild quail, and then on from there. But how? What? what is your regimen in that regard? Whatever Guy Mollicone tells me to do. That guy, <laughs> he, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. No, okay, I, uh, do, by I, the way, how do I spell his I, name? I got to call this guy. <laughs> oh, he, it would be a great conversation. He's a very knowledgeable good. man. Yeah. Um, has a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of experience real world experience but uh i i like to start them as young as possible i don't i don't you know do the wing on the string and yeah. rip the dog pointing i'd rather have a dog rip that rip that wing off at mm-hmm. six weeks mm-hmm. old than see it pointing i mean mm-hmm. I, I want a dog that's gonna that's gonna go for it you could you know you'll develop those pointing instincts later on i want a dog that's gonna go for that bird no matter what 
So do you, um, do you at some point introduce him to pigeons or do you use pigeons at all? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, obviously what, what are pigeons? What are we trying to do with that? We're, yeah. we're just trying to replicate wild birds. Yeah. So wild birds are the best thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, like you mentioned, it takes birds to make a bird dog. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just can't, whether it's illegal in your area to chase them in the off season or it's just, you know, maybe you live in the city, it's harder to get out and you got to use pigeons. That's fine. Um, so yeah, we do pigeons and, uh, homing pigeons, um, just try to lay a strong foundation but i i mean gosh if i have a puppy during bird season yeah. i'll just bring that puppy out you know oh, yeah. i won't fire guns around it unless it's gun broke but i'll just bring that puppy out and you know i'll let a i'll let a dog uh you know kind of more experienced dog point point a covey and then i'll just walk the puppy into it yeah and see what happens do you get scared do you chase them great whatever whatever just just get that experience and get that contact and make it make it a positive experience for them I remember Gus, the short hair, the first covey he ever saw. We were we were out running, and uh, we had a dog go on point and walk Gus Gus in. And, yeah, she was probably five, six months old. And this covey of Merms exploded, I mean, under all four of his legs, like up <laughs> from his belly. And he started jumping up straight, straight up vertical in the air like the ground was falling down underneath <laughs> him. But, you know, it was just, you know, you chased him after that. I just let him chase him until he got tired and he came back. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of time for steadiness. That's uh, you know, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, prey drive or or anything else, got to have that before anything else develops. I I agree a hundred percent. You know, we could geek out on this stuff. We could go in deeper into the weeds oh, on yeah. that. But what I really want to talk about, because I'm going and I I really want to get psyched for it. You know, what was maybe the highlight of last season for you? Describe to me your best quail hunt of last season. We talked a little bit about it when, when I found those merns and, you yeah. know, shot my slam without moving the truck. That was the best day of quail season. Wow. But but I want to talk in general. Quail season for me last year was the best year of quail season. It was, you know, I, I, I guided a few hunts, not not a lot. Um but I hunted with so many friends yeah, um, and for myself, but I just wasn't able to do in years prior because of, of uh, guiding, you know, full time nearly every day. Um, I hunted, you know, with, with new friends, with old friends. I had people coming down from New Mexico, California, Kansas, uh, Montana, and just stay at my house. Yeah. You know, I have two, I have two spare rooms and uh and a camper and i got extra kennels and gosh we just just people just staying here just hunting using it as a base camp and it was it was truly you know if i if i gotta say you know a highlight of last season it was just so many good experiences with with friends yeah new and old you know i can echo that uh we had a year off from the tv show because of covid and uh and in that season uh, which I'm extending, by the way, to this season because it's fun. It's mm. it's about the people that you're going with, and like you said, some of them are brand new, others are not. Um, it it really is a dimension that we, we talk a good game about it. But if you we're professionals and we do this on TV or we do this uh, as a guide, all all of a sudden you just run out of days in the calendar, don't you? Absolutely. So absolutely. Uh, so, uh, how does a guy become a good enough friend of yours to be taken to a place that you love to go, 
Um, do, does, do people earn that right somehow? Are they friends from another world? Uh, I'm not, I, and I'm not being selfish. I don't, I, I don't expect that, but, but I'm just intrigued <laughs> with the whole idea of how camaraderie evolves. It's, it's interesting because I think, I mean, it's changed now in recent years, just yeah. with the introduction of, you know, the, the social media. And I, I've met a lot of a lot of dudes on the internet yeah. um, and then they come over and stay the night in my house. It's just, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, I, I look and see who, you know, who looks like they're, they're hunting and, and having fun with their dogs. Yeah. Um, and, and I go, Oh man, that looks like fun. That guy might be fun to hunt with. And, you know, inevitably you chat and someone says, Hey, I want to come down or, or, you know, maybe, maybe they invite me up and, you know, I get to hunt with them in Kansas or something like that. And it just, it just, just kind of goes from there um yeah I, I just i like to hunt with people who who enjoy it for the same reasons that i do you know and it's funny and it's not the only way but it is uh especially in the last couple of years it is one tool to use to find people like the people of like mind and uh it's getting more and more common of course it you know can be abused as well and we've all seen that but um mm-hmm. how how have they returned the favor where have you gone outside of arizona to hunt lately so I've been in I've been in school the past two years, so I haven't got to travel a whole bunch. But uh, uh, Tyler Slade and I went to uh, Kansas, um, where we stayed at uh, Kelly Aiken's house. She uh, she's very well known uh, breeder and handler of uh, of Irish setters, really nice Irish field setters. Uh, we hunted prairie chickens out there. Met a guy who we knew from Instagram, Jake Thomas, and he took us out and took us teal hunting, uh, early teal season. Yeah. And in return, he's coming down to Arizona this season. We're going to get him on some Mern's quail. And, uh, um, you know, another, another guy, when I was up in Kansas, Gary Shaw, he let us hunt his land and, you know, he came down and we hunted together in Arizona. He's coming down again. Him and his, him and his son have became uh, close friends too. So, I have invites. I have invites from a lot of other people that I just, you know, unfortunately haven't had the ability to, to, to take up the time. I don't know if you know um, Patrick Pitt, the waterfowler. Uh, him no. and his son came down and hunted ducks with a with a friend of mine. Um, he was coming down here to uh, hunt the Mexican duck, and you know, my friend is a is a waterfowl guide. And in return, we're going to uh, Arkansas next year to do a flooded timber hunt. So it's, wow. It's, there's a lot of options. It's good. There's good networking to be had. You know, I don't so. want to sound like a kindergarten teacher, but it's absolutely true. Uh, whether we voice it or not, um, it's pretty much quid pro quo. And uh, how you do that is, uh, you know, up to you. But there, there is a transaction involved, isn't there? Um, there, there, there is a transaction. I wouldn't say quid pro quo because the people who, who I've had down, you know, to hunt with me, I haven't, I haven't invited them just because I wanted to, yeah, hunt, you yeah. know, on the, on their, on their area. I think, you know, when you, when you, like I said, when you find someone who's, who's doing it for the same reasons you are, it's just important to build that network around you and, and stick together. Cause there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird, weird stuff out there <laughs> that you can get into on, on, you know, in the bird dog world. And you just, just need, you know, people who are doing it like you that, that you can hang out with and, and have a good time with. So. Well, sometimes the quid or the pro or the quo <laughs> is is not a you know tit for tat. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. I've now I mixed a whole bunch of them. <clears throat> it, it doesn't need to be um, a for a b for b, um, but there's there's uh, there's value in 
the transaction for both parties. And, Absolutely. And it could be knowledge. It could be advice. Yeah. It could be a puppy. It could be any of it. Who knows? Yeah. And the biggest thing for me is I just don't want to feel like I'm guiding you. Yeah. That's, that's it. I, I, cause I'm out there to hunt. And if I feel like I'm guiding, I had a couple of people tell me that guiding PTSD, they're like, chill, chill. Like, <laughs> it's all right. If your dog breaks, I know it's fine. I don't care. And you know, and I'm like, Oh shoot. Yeah. I got to stop treating you like I'm like, I'm guiding you. Yeah. So, you, you should be wearing my, a badge or something. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy, you'll call me and he'll, you know, my, one of my best hunting buds and he'll call me up and he'll be like, Hey Phil, where are we, where are we hunting this weekend? I'm like, I ain't your guide. You tell me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a, a friend of mine who used to give me a lot of money for working for his magazine and is no longer there, but I'm still getting the money. Um, <laughs> he, he's working on a piece right now on, uh, on the most interesting tips guides have received and i don't mean just you know giant piles of dollar bills or hundred dollar bills but other things and it could again it could be you know knowledge it could be information uh, anything yeah what what jumps to mind in your former career as as kind of what you've maybe not received per se nobody handed an envelope to you but what did you learn from somebody or what did you get from somebody other than money that you're still applying when you hunt? Um, I had the pleasure of guiding uh, Will Primos on oh, yeah. multiple occasions. Uh, he's, he is a, a great human being and a, and a great individual. I, I, I can't speak highly enough about him. And, you know, I think back to a moment. We were in South Dakota. Um, we had just pointed a bird, shot the bird. Sorry, we were porcupined. Then we yeah. pointed a bird. Then shot the bird, and then was porcupined again. And I'm trying to pull the quills out of the dog, and Will was saying, let me help you. And I said, you know, I really appreciate it, but uh, but no, I don't, you know, I don't want you. I knew the dog wouldn't bite anybody, but I'm like, I don't want to risk it, da-da-da. And he stopped me. He's like, no. He's like, I'm going to help you. And so, I mean, not to sound like a freaking cornball, but I, I mean, friendship. Just just friendship and, you know, just, just a genuine human interaction you know you can't put a price tag on something like that yeah i uh interviewed him many years ago on field and stream radio and got the same impression i'm not surprised at all i really am not and yeah. uh oh that's wonderful to hear i i always say that you know a friend is somebody who will um will help you move but a real good friend is somebody who will hold your dog when you're pulling porcupine quills yeah, absolutely and that's that's you know that's the kind of man Will Primos is absolutely. Well, I love it. Um, that's great and probably a good place to end this conversation. I know you have come off just come off a long long shift. Why don't you tell people what you're doing these days, just so they can feel sorry for you? Oh no, please don't don't, <laughs> don't feel sorry. Everything I'm doing is self inflicted. Uh, yeah. Just just you know, in, in speaking in general, I, I work for the EMS division on a local fire department here. And I'm currently enrolled in the fire academy, so likely by the time this episode airs, I'll I'll be completed with that. So uh, it's not a bad it's not a bad schedule. Uh, currently, it's uh, 40 hours on and five days off, so it leaves a lot of time for for hunting season coming up. Yeah, when you're not running into burning buildings and saving lives and doing CPR. Well, that's, I can't <laughs> take credit for all that. That I don't wanna. I look that I'm not I'm not saying that, and that please don't get any ideas that that's what 
what what I've been doing. I've been I understand. In school and uh, just yeah. really driving the ambulance, but uh, I do I appreciate the sentiment for sure. Well, uh, good luck. I'm going to congratulate you now. I know you'll be passing with flying colors and graduating that academy and moving on to the next level. Phil Wexler is somewhere down in Southern Arizona, former guide and now just uh, one of us um, and maybe slightly more avid than some of you, but uh, I feel there's a connection there. Phil, so, so good to talk with you again. So glad to see you moving on in life in so many positive ways. Don't be a stranger and uh, fair warning, I'll be in Southern Arizona in uh, late January. So if you want to be in Texas or somewhere farther away, here's your chance thanks so much you have yeah thank you and you have my number so we can we can definitely get together this year all right thanks so much for being a part of the upland nation take care now thank you scott bye the rest of you don't go away because we've got uh the upland nation puzzler and your chance at that chief upland custom customizable front-loading vest as well as your thoughts on a subject that I cannot believe got as much response as it did. I can't wait to share the story with you. Maybe I'll get permission to preview it to all of you before it ends up in the magazine. But first, Dr. Tim Hunt is my man in the dog food world, and that's because not only is he a veterinarian, he's a sled dog competitor. He knows a bit about performance, and he is also... Uh, a scientist who's figuring out what's good and what's not good in that world. And I trust his opinion. And maybe you should learn more about his thinking process as well. Go to drtims.com. Read around in that website for things like where his ingredients come from. The sourcing is critical. What kind of ingredients he uses and why he uses them. For example, the variety of fats and why he balances those in various ways. Yeah, I know my eyes glaze over too at things like chemistry, but this stuff is easily readable and understandable even for a dog guy like me. Free delivery right to your porch. 30% discount on your first order. Just use the code UplandNation at D-R-T-I-M-S dot com. Okay, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor here at the Upland Nation podcast, MidValleyClays.com. Now, you may recognize that outfit from, well, we shot the pilot for a clay target shootout there a few years back, an incredible shooting facility, but also a great resource when it comes to shopping for your next shotgun. How do you search for it now? Well, the gun shows, local gun shop auctions are all good ideas, but if you've got access to the internet, you have access to Mid-Valley Clays and their shooting school. Now, the key here, and you know how tough it's been, whether it's ammo or guns, the key here is Mid-Valley Clays has special relationships with all the major manufacturers, including Browning, and I'm going to talk more about them in just a minute. They can often find those hard-to-find guns that you're looking for. they got a good selection in stock, especially of hunting guns. A good stop would be MidValleyClays.com. You like an autoloader? What are the features that are important to you? Weight, ease of loading and unloading, reliability, stock adjustability? Well, Mid-Valley Clays has a good selection of Browning's new Maxxis 2 line. Might just give you a double take with respect to the feature list and overall functions. That's at Mid-Valley. 
valleyclays.com. All right, here it comes. Put your thinking caps on, sort of. If you'd like to win that Chief Upland front-loading technical Upland vest, here's the question on the Upland Nation Puzzler this week. Now, I'll award that vest at the end of the month for all of the correct answers that are messaged to me on one of the Facebook pages. Wing Shooting USA, Upland Nation Facebook pages, even my personal page. Just go to one of those, send me a message, and I keep all the answers right there. All right. Easy peasy. Name a game bird that's legal to hunt in Kansas. I can't give you extra points if you name one that's a little bit harder to hunt in Kansas, but if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. In fact, we discussed it just briefly in our conversation, Phil and I. Name a game bird legal to hunt in Kansas. So go to your regs, do some research. That's the whole idea. Learn something right there. And, uh, and I'll look forward to seeing your answers. Just send me a Facebook message. Yeah, so, you know, I, okay, we kind of grew up in the, in the broadest sphere of the Rat Pack, the original Rat Pack. Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis, Joey Bishop, all the, Peter Lawford, all those guys. If you're my age, you know who they are. I've been a Sinatra fan from the very get-go. My mother was a Bobby Soxer. Uh, well, we could go on forever about that, but the point is Paul Anka and a couple other guys wrote a great, great song that Sinatra made famous many years ago called My Way. And one of the lyrics is, Regrets, I have a few. And I thought, man, I got more than a few. And I'm turning that into a story for a magazine. And I thought, you know, Maybe you have a few as well. So um, I asked you on Facebook, and if you responded or if you just pondered it, and that was the goal, thank you. Your answers were touching and heartfelt. There was a bunch of practical stuff, and I'll share one of mine. There was a whole bunch of way deeper stuff, and I appreciate some of you being brutally honest about you and your hunting career and that sort of thing. I'll share a couple of those. But the rest of you, make note of this stuff. Go back to the Facebook pages and look at some of the other answers. And then eventually I'll be able to share the whole thing when I finish the story. And maybe you'll learn something. You'll learn to avoid something or to do something more. Here's the first one for me. And boy, it's been driven home. Well, yesterday. Save up your bottles and cans and buy a GPS collar and bring it home before the puppy comes home. Learn how to use it, all aspects of it, but mainly use it so that you can um, keep track of your dog and enjoy slightly more peace of mind. Yesterday, Flick uh, got a wild hair. It was really cold, so all of a sudden... uh, Bird dogs get another burst of energy. I don't know if it's from the air or from the adrenaline, that the lower temperatures, whatever. He got out seven-tenths of a mile. Now, I know that's not far for you field trialers, but it's really far for a versatile dog owner. But at least I knew where he was. Maybe you have had that experience, that 
sinking feeling that comes from that. So that's my one of my many regrets. Okay, here's one from Kurt, and I love this. My 14-year-old Drotar was never tested to the third level. I thought he was just a hunting dog. Since then, I've tested three Drots all the way through the third level VGP test, and what a difference. Pass or fail, the bond created is incredible. Kurt, I know the feeling. Been there and done that. Brett shares this one, and anybody with kids can probably relate. My son asked if he could come with me on a hunt, and I said no. I was just thinking of the limited time and the little things that would make more work for me. I wasn't thinking about how much I love spending time with my kids and how much I love watching my dogs work. I regret losing sight of why I hunt and how important it is for me to share that with the people I love. Brett, you and some of the others have brought tears to my eyes when I'm reading your confessions, and that's what they are. I hope everybody has learned something from Brett, Kurt, and hopefully all the other things that I will be sharing with you, much of it from your fellow hunters. That part of the show is brought to you by FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. New material every week to help you find places to hunt, train, and care for your dog. Sure would love to have you there. You can also listen to this podcast and watch all the videos there as well. Thank you all for being such patient listeners today and for responding so often to things like my requests on social media. Glad to share them. I read every post. I read every comment. Thank you to everybody who leaves a rating or review. That's how we grow. And man, oh man, are we growing fast. So please spread the word. And if you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, would you give me five stars? Pretty please? Sure appreciate that. I hope you're headed out real soon. If you are, good luck. Be safe. Take somebody who's never been before. Be kind to your dog. And maybe I'll see you out there. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Okay, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor here at the Upland Nation podcast, MidValleyClays.com. Now, you may recognize that outfit from, well, we shot the pilot for Clay Target Shootout there a few years back, an incredible shooting facility, but also a great resource when it comes to shopping for your next shotgun. How do you search for it now? Well, the gun shows, local gun shop, auctions are all good ideas, but if you've got access to the internet, you have access to Mid-Valley Clays and their shooting school. Now, the key here, and you know how tough it's been, whether it's ammo or guns, the key here is Mid-Valley Clays has special relationships with all the major manufacturers, including Browning, and I'm going to talk more about them in just a minute. They can often find those hard-to-find guns that you're looking for. they got a good selection in stock, especially of hunting guns. A good stop would be MidValleyClays.com. You like an autoloader? What are the features that are important to you? Weight, ease of loading and unloading, reliability, stock adjustability? Well, Mid-Valley Clays has a good selection of Browning's new Maxxis 2 line. 
might just give you a double take with respect to the feature list and overall functions. That's at midvalleyclays.com.